Welcome Compass Bible Church to another episode of the Compass Equip podcast. This is Pastor Evan and, and I'm this he- is Pastor Hayden. There we go. <laughs> and I'm joined with Pastor Hayden, who's eager for this episode. E- eager Beaver. And here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and, and training, training people, people to, to serve, serve Christ. Christ. And everything that we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission of reaching, teaching, and training. There you go. All right. Well, Compass, we just heard Pastor Hayden preach out of Jonah chapter three in our series for the summer, Summer at Sea. And the title of the sermon was the God of second chances. And so let me read chapter three of the book of Jonah. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it. The message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Mm, That's good. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles that neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. All right, well, Pastor Hayden, the main point of your sermon based on Jonah chapter 3 is that second chances should compel us to respond rightly to the grace of God. And you have a two-point sermon, uh, the first point being believe God gives second chances, and point number two, repent from your sins. I mean, it's very, I mean, on surface, it looks pretty straightforward, but there is a, a lot of meat in your sermon to help help us to understand what this text has to say. And so, to right off the bat, why, right in your intro, I loved what you mentioned how we, we love second chances because in reality we know that they don't come around often. What are some other thoughts you had on kind of the beginning of your sermon about the second chance as you kind of introduced it for the second chance for the Ninevites? Yeah, I mean, as far as second chances go, we love them, right? We love watching movies about second chances. We love, you know, we love the idea of second chances because we know uh, that they aren't a dime a dozen, right? We know that it is uh, an exception to receive second chances. And uh, for Jonah to be that book about God's second chances, and it's meant to show us that God's second chances are meant to produce a right response to the grace of God. I mean, that's even what I put in my notes, is that's what Jonah's about, is the fact that we have a right response to make to the grace of God. Israel didn't do it. Uh, Nineveh did do it. 
all those who are in Christ did it. I mean, for us to see how special it is to have a second chance, and those people who've had second chances and responded to them just know how special it is to have the second chance, just in normal things in life, but especially to responding to the grace of God as a Christian. And as Christians, we have responded to that second chance. But what I love about your sermon is that you drew the implication, not only for the non-Christian sitting in the room to repent, Hmm. but just in the point number one, for us as the implication is, we need to give other people second chances. And so can you focus on that a little bit more about how God is willing to give others a second chance, but we aren't? Yeah, I talked about that in the nine, not so much in the 11, but in the nine, I focused a little bit on the idea that the believers to recognize that we uh, are called, and it is scripturally to forgive those who have sinned against us, or the consequence to that is we won't receive the forgiveness from God. And I mean, we can try to interpret your way around that, but it is pretty clear that for the forgiven, forgiveness is required. And if we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. And so the fact that we be- we take it to heart to say we believe God gives second chances means this, that we are all people of second chance. And we have to extend that to others in the realms of forgiveness and reconciliation because it is our birthright and uh, it is the expectation for Christians to be those who believe in second chances. In that, and also in that first point, you, you mentioned how God sent the prophets to Israel and Judah to proclaim God's word so that they would repent. You know, Jesus came on the scene to you know, save the world so that we could repent. It would be too far of a stretch to say that sometimes God places us, the, the listener of your sermon, including yourself, into certain maybe geographic locations or maybe vocations or neighborhoods for the purpose of people around us to repent. Of course not, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. We are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal, which was often a prophetic appeal in the Old Testament and even Christ, uh, to make an appeal, and that's what they did. And our call is to make this appeal, uh, to implore people on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. That is, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I mean, that's why that's not crazy to think that God has not placed us here to do the exact same thing. Something I hope that people find a little bit interesting, especially those Christians who uh, are very studious in the Bible, uh, we know in our hearts and minds that Christ was a bit of a prophet, right? That he was a, the prophet. The uh, greatest prophet. Right. But, Book of Hebrews. But we don't really think about him much as a prophet, prophetic figure. But I hope that as we really put him up at parallel, even in the where we were in Matthew, showing that he was very much a prophet and he was bringing a prophetic message about the need to repent. And I love just how much Jesus looks like the prophets, even in the Old Testament, and how it's so crazy uh, that often the Pharisees and Sadducees miss that, although at times they called him, we do know you're a great prophet. But even then, I think sometimes as Christians, we forget just how much of a prophetic uh, figure Christ was, even in the context of all of Scripture, not just the New Testament. And even right away in the book of Matthew, right after he has the temptations um, from Satan, he defeats Satan as Adam failed. The next thing he does is that he goes into the northern tribe in the Galilean region. Uh, <laughs> why? Actually, speaking of the Assyrians, the reason why he goes there first is because that's where the Assyrians conquered Israel first, is right in the northern tribe. So Jesus starts his ministry there to reconquer it per se. But what is his message? In Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So like you're saying, he's just doing the same message as the prophets of old said, and he even refers to that to Jerusalem later in his mm-hmm. ministry career. Yeah, and I even love the fact that he goes up 
and uh, his ministry in Galilee, because that was kind of the country bumpkin place to go. And the fact that that the Messiah of the universe, the anointed one of the universe, he, his ministry is his focal locale is to bump to the bumpkins, right? He didn't go to like the best and brightest. Like he didn't go to the temple and try to get all his people from the temple. As a matter of fact, in the book of Matthew, you read about what when it comes to Israel or Jerusalem in particular, you always hear bad things, right? It's whoa. Yeah. The whoa. It's like, oh man, when you start getting to that epicenter of the, of that, the faith, the Jewish faith, you, you get to this place of like, Ooh, the bad things are going to happen when Jesus gets to Jerusalem. Why is that important? Uh, just because, you know, people, the religious uh, elite of, uh, of Israel thought that that was the place where everything good should happen. Uh, and what we realize is God often uses the weak to, uh, Right, to uh, replace the strong, he often uses the things that weren't so great to do the great things. And it's just interesting that Jesus' ministry was really a Galilean ministry for the most part. And then as he's making his way to Jerusalem to really reform the worship of God, uh, using the weak things, using the what great prophet comes from, you know, that area, the Galilee, who, you know, how in the world, which is ironic because you know who else comes from that area? What other prophet comes from that area? Jonah. Jonah is also a prophet from the same place that Jesus came from. And so when the Pharisees actually said no prophet comes from there, it's false. Actually, Jonah came from there. Well, it kind of leads right into your second point of repenting from your sin. And on surface, it sounds like a very simple point, but there's a ton of ramifications. And kind of building upon that idea of how Jesus uses the weak to shame the strong, to use the fool to shame the wise and to for to use us against us, essentially, but how you mentioned in your sermon that Jonah was a book not written to Assyria, but was written to Israel, just like in Jesus' ministry, he's using the Gentiles against Israel a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And he mentioned that because as the prophets, you had Elijah, Elisha, Amos, I think Obadiah is maybe northern tribe. Uh, I think he's southern. He's southern. Um, but jo- uh, uh, Hosea. Hosea, that's what I was thinking. Amos. Of. And the, the prophet after prophet telling them to repent, and they didn't. And here's Jonah, a reluctant prophet, to go to Nineveh. And not only does Nineveh repent instantly, also the pagan um, sailors. sailors repent instantly. And so kind of t- tell us more about that and how that even relates to the ramifications of Jesus' ministry, but more importantly, to even our ministry right here, right now. Yeah, I mean... If you were at the sermon, you heard that Pastor Evan gave a little bit of a, a summary of that, and to realize that the book of Jonah, it, it it was written for Israel, even though Israel's really not mentioned in there at all, other than the fact that Jonah was uh, an Israelite prophet. Uh, the book is actually written for Israel, and it was to remind Israel and to condemn them because people who didn't know God repented at the offer of a second chance, and Israel didn't time after time after time after time after time. And so the book of Jonah is really a condemnation letter to Israel for not responding to the grace and mercy of God. Uh, And it's the same thing that Jesus talks about in Matthew 12, you know, and he says there in verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation, the first first, uh, century uh, A.D. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of this generation and condemn it, for they repented for the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I mean, Jesus is the greatest prophet who ever lived. All the other prophets were pointing to this prophet, and yet still, Nineveh repented at the goofy prophet Jonah. 
And yet Israel, which had the better promises, the better covenants, the better the, the, the better uh, covenants with God. Better prophets. Better prophets. Yeah, great, much better prophets. Still wouldn't. And they even had something great, well much greater than Jonah. Well much greater. That's the, the point here. Something better than Jonah, and they still wouldn't repent. I mean, that's the condemnation that n- even Nineveh to a first century Israel is going to have. Nineveh didn't just... Uh, didn't just rise up at judgment to Israel in the Old Testament. They will rise up again at the judgment of that generation because they wouldn't repent at the preaching of Jesus. And the same thing works for us. We have something way better than all the prophets. We have the prophet. We have the Messiah. We have the anointed one. We have the king. We have all of that in Christ. And so, yeah, Nineveh will rise up even at the judgment of us in our generation because they responded to the grace of God to such a weak prophet. And yet we have all even better promises in the new covenant. We have better promises that were instituted on 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 on, a, on Christ, on better promises, better covenants, better outcomes. And how dare we not respond to the gospel of the grace of the greatest prophet has ever lived? All right, Pastor Hayden. It seems like we're being a little hard when we say things like we have the new covenant, we have the totality of scripture, we have weekly sermon uh, preaching. We have life groups that has the word of God in it. We have software, commentaries, Mm -hmm. books galore. And we're saying, hey, if you don't repent, your judgment is going to be greater. Where is our heart coming from? It seems like a bit harsh, but where is our heart as pastors as we tell this hard truth? Well, I think it comes from exactly what I was talking about earlier when we were looking at John 3.16 through John 3.21. It's this, that God's plan is redemptive. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's the good news. But the bad news is whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. And so it's not harsh because what is actually harsh is that every soul is condemned already. We all sit in condemnation. That is, we're born into the condemnation. We have no other position other than being condemned. And so the offer of grace and the offer of a second chance and the proper response to that for being repenting from our sins actually is not a harsh message. The real harsh message is we're already condemned. The The message of love and of mercy and grace is if we repent and respond to the second chance of the gospel, we're not condemned. I mean, there's nothing more loving than that. The problem is, is we have to tell people, like I said at the 9 a.m., that we have to tell people where they're sitting in a snake pit, right? I mean, I, I, if I'm in a snake pit, the most loving thing you can do is shine the light on the, the bad thing and say, hey, that's not good. Get out of that. The worst thing you could do is say, "I wonder if he knows he's in a snake pit." Oh, let's. I don't want to. I don't want to offend him. Like that, you offend me because you didn't tell me. And I love you so much. I'm going to tell you the truth. And here's also another truth. And Pastor, here maybe you can address this. And so, I mean, for the listeners, we should, as Second Corinthians thirteen five states, that we should test ourselves, examine ourselves to see whether if we are in the faith, to see if we really have Christ in us. Because in Matthew 7, there's going to be plenty of people that say, Lord, Lord, I did all these amazing things. And you say, I never knew you depart from me. Mm-hmm. There's of the parable of the soils, there's four seeds, only one of them grows. And so, and also in First John, in chapters one, verses five through ten, you have people who say, "I'm in the light," but they're walking in darkness. And John's very clear: if you're right. walking in darkness, you do not have the light in you. And so, the danger is, listener, is that we need to test ourselves to say, "I might say I'm a Christian, but the Christian, am I a Christian? Have I repented? What right. what encouragement would you have for 
those listeners? I think you should flip over to the application questions because our application questions this week, since we're not meeting in life group, are more devotionally directed. And one that I want you to look at is question number three. Questions one and two will lead you to question three. In question three, as when we're talking about examining ourselves, ask the question, have you responded to God's gracious offer of a second chance through salvation in Christ by repenting from your sins and trusting in Christ's righteousness in place of your righteousness? Then there's your simple salvific question. Test yourself. Has this happened? Well, okay, if it has, write out the moment in your life when you turn from your sins and place your trust in Christ. Right? There was a moment. Right? Justification is a one-time action in history. So there was a day... And there was a time that happened that justified you before God, right? We didn't, uh, we, we, like I often say, we didn't, uh, what is that word I like to use? Like we didn't. Osmosis? No, not osmosis. Like <laughs> we didn't just transition into salvation, right? It, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a product of, you know, after years and years of my life, I became saved. Like it was a one-time thing. And so we can't just say because I uh, accumulated all this knowledge, I became saved. Salvation is like marriage in the sense that you have a date and time when you made the covenant commitment to be married to your wife. And just like you have an anniversary, you have an anniversary of your salvation. Now, I understand in many cases, in some cases, you can't remember the date and time. Probably because before you got married, people said, you better remember the date. Don't forget the date. Maybe no one told you that when you got saved. But it still doesn't mean that there was not a time where it actually happened. And since it actually happened, you should actually remember when it happened. Even if somebody had never told you, don't remember, you don't have to remember your, your anniversary. And maybe no one even brought it up to you. You may not remember the date, but you remember it. You remember when it happened. The same thing. That's a great way to test your, your actual salvation and your testimony to say, can you really write out a moment in your life when you turn from your sin and you trust it in Christ? Because if you can't, that is just a great example of Perhaps maybe you have all the right information and you have the right components in your hand, but you've never responded to the gracious offer of a second chance through salvation in Christ by repenting from your sins and trusting in Christ's righteousness in place of your unrighteousness. And so if we, if we land in a place confident of the testimony of God's salvation in our lives, according to not what our story is or other people's story is, like you said in the sermon, but according to what God's word has to say, what is the next step? And actually, it's question number four. So it's also part of your sermon. So what should we do then as Christians who know, okay, we are, I'm saved because of what God's word has to say in my life. What should I do then? Well, it's not over when we respond to the message of grace. We just become enlisted in God's army to be ambassadors of Christ. And, uh, you know, I, I said this a lot in the 11 especially, which is the fact that we have such a great call and we should be zealous to go preach the message of second chances because we saw the need in our own life for the second chance of the grace of God and we should be zealous to go preach that and when we wonder why don't people respond to the message of grace well because the because people will look at the people who did and say well they don't seem pretty excited about it they don't seem and they don't seem passionate about it well you probably don't want to respond to something that no one's passionate about but until God puts that passion inside of you to get saved, you didn't think about it either. And the reality is, is when we are passionate, when we got saved, we should have that same passionate about propagating the same message to everyone else. And so when we're saved, we st- when it's not over, we have a message to proclaim. And it's not about the messenger, it's about the message, right? It's not about you. And as people say, well, I'm afraid, I don't think I can say the right thing. Well, that's great. If it were about you, 
that would be something to be concerned about. But it's not about you. It's about the message. What we care about, what God cares about, is that the message is proclaimed. Even if you're Jonah and God has to do so many things to get your attention, he's going to get his message across. So just make sure that you're making it about the message and not the messenger because it's not about you. It's about God. And there's a couple of resources that we, we can tell you that you can buy uh, one at the bookstore itself. Another one that you can buy on Amazon. Pa- uh, Pastor, what's the one resource that we have at the bookstore that they can get? Yep. Getting It Right by Mike Fabares. It's just a good book. It's actually, if you are involved in Compass very much, uh, Getting It Right and Exploring the Gospel are two resources that you can use. Getting It Right is really good because it just gives you an overview of the gospel. And uh, Exploring the Gospel is actually just chapter one of our uh partners program and so you could use either one of those resources give it to somebody who needs to know the gospel or to make sure you're even sure about knowing that you're saved those are two resources that i think are really really good pastor evan you have another one that we don't have but that you can get online it's called how can i be sure i'm a christian by don whitney now that's a really good book that is an it's excellent to kind of help you examine your own testimony according to what god's word has to say Mm -hmm. and so compass we we dearly care about you. We don't want you to be on Judgment Day on Matthew 7, one that is deceived to say, I thought I was saved, and God says, depart from me. No, we want to make sure, according to God's word, you're confident of your right place before God. There's also another book. It's a Nine Marks book called uh, called Conversion, and uh, I'm trying to see who, uh, who wrote that. A Conversion, it's a Nine Marks book by Michael Lawrence, I think is uh, it's a small book, and so for you, it would be super easy to read, but Conversion, Nine Marks book by Michael Lawrence would be another good resource. Well, all right, Compass, that ends our uh, sermon recap, and now it begins our daily Bible reading Ooh, spotlight. Yeah, Psalm 82. And I know Pastor Hayden's going to be really excited. He doesn't know yet, but he's going to be really <laughs> no, excited. No, I already know. I he, know. I know what's happening. He knows Come on. All right. As a reminder, Compass, we are still in the book of Psalms, and I hope it has been enriching and encouraging and edifying and even convicting uh, you and your Christian walk. And as you remember, this is a song book, a book of praises for the for the Hebrew, uh, for the the uh, the Hebrews and for Christians. And it's our hymnal to God in, in different circumstances when life is hard or when life is, is great. We, we must remember everything is about God. It's not about us. It's about God, just like Jonah. Who's the main character of Jonah? God. There you go. All right, Compass, this week we are wrapping book three of the book of Psalms. We're not wrapping it. We're finished reading it. Okay. Because if we had to wrap it, I'd have to bring someone else then. I think it was about like a, I think it was like a present. And you wrap oh, a present. oh, 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 oh. You were okay. thinking about like okay. wrapping. Like, yeah, I was just couldn't do it. Like Shylin or something <laughs> like that. All right. And then we're, we're beginning book number four. So book number three, this is a lot of instruction to deal with God's holiness. Where book number four is going to be de- uh, dealing with a lot of, you know, God's like fatherly discipline in positive and not really negative, but the painful and the encouraging type of discipline. Mm-hmm. But as a reminder, as we are in the book of Psalms, I want to make sure this is in the forefront. This book is to try to help you properly worship God and to develop a deeper devotion to God, no matter what circumstances you are. We all need some of that. We all need some of that. So make sure that you are bookmarking and highlighting and saving and even noting down these Psalms so that when things come up in life, you know where to turn to right away. It's going to require some homework, What's good homework so that you can be ready for what God has in store for you in, in, in your life. So 
just want to go through through a couple key ideas from our ending of or wrapping up book number three is Psalm 82 to Psalm 89. This is the end of book number three, this week's um, daily Bible reading. You know, these Psalms are going to kind of give us reasons why we should turn to God. This is kind of the answering the why question to the what question. So, for example, Psalm 82 says, why, why should we turn to God? Why? Because he's the judge of the earth, and he's the only way that we can have eternal life. Um, Psalm 83, he, he looks back on what God did. He's like, didn't you destroy the people of Endor? Not the Ewoks in Star Wars, but there's the actual people called Endor. He's like, hey, you're the one that is able to destroy, and I'm going to turn to you because you're strong. Um, and Psalm 84 talks about he. it's better to be at, in the courts, uh, in your court, in your heavenly realm than any place here on earth. It's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to be in the, the courthouse of a, the king for a thousand years. It's so talking about the value who God is. And of course, Psalm 85 and, and Psalm 86 and Psalm 88, talking about the salvation that God offers, the forgiveness of sins that God offers. This is why you need to turn to God. And then on Psalm, uh, and starting book number four, Wait, you missed Ethan. Oh, no, we didn't start. It's, it's oh, later. Okay. okay, just kidding. And that's ending book number three. And Pastor really excited about I Ethan. Am. I like Ethan. <laughs> so book number four, as we begin book number four, as this week we go through Psalm 90 to Psalm 102, we get to see the psalmists, the different authors, joyfully proclaim how good God is and how it is, how good it is to dwell with God, but also how good it is to be reigned by God, to have God as your ruler, and also to be with him. And you have like Psalm 90, verse 1. Uh, it's better. It's so good to be in your dwelling place. Uh, Psalm 94, blessed in the man whom you discipline, who you guide, who you lead. Um, Psalm 95, let us come into your presence with thanksgiving. Psalm 97, the Lord reigns. He let the earth rejoice. It's good for God to reign the universe. And then Psalm 102, even though it seems like kind of a downer compared to the other ones, he starts off like, hear my prayer, God, let me, you know, let my cry come to you. He ends with the children of your servants shall, shall dwell secure. And so he, we see why God is so good. In the psalm I want to highlight, there's two psalms, one from book number three and one from book number four. Book number three is going to be Pastor Hayden's new favorite psalm of Ethan. all time. Is that Ethan the Ezraite? It just sounds so Anglo, right? It's Ethan. It's, it's just, just like, Ethan. you know, you got, you got the David, you got Solomon, and then Ethan just pops in there and just writes a he whole He pops psalm. in there, and it's a beautiful <laughs> psalm. So it's Psalm 89, but if you want to cross-reference this, Ethan is in First Kings chapter four and in First Chronicles fifteen. He's a he's a Levite, yep. and his name's Ethan. Ethan, <laughs> Pastor Hayden's new favorite Ethan. person. Ethan, who's fa- Pastor Hayden's favorite biblical author? Ethan. Ethan. <laughs> All right, and so this psalm is beautiful, and I would implore you to when you read it, read it again, because this is this psalm is knowing God's steadfast love, even though it seems like God is far away. Because it starts off great, and you're reading, you're going to be nodding your head in agreement, like, Ethan, you got it on point. Mm. Psalm 89, the first 37 verses, it's talking about, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will, my mouth, my My mouth, mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. But that third, verse 38, there's a twist, because there's some event that happened in Ethan's life Mm. 
that he sees, it seems like God's hand is far away because in verse 38, he says, but now God, you have cast off and rejected. You, you are full of wrath against your anointed, the king. How long, verse 46, how long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long uh, will your wrath burn like fire? So he's experiencing God's anger and wrath over, over the nation, apparently. But he, you know, it's like a sandwich. He begins with praises and he ends with praises. His very last verse in, as the time where he's very confused when it feels like God's far away, he remembers the truth as he did in the first 30, 38 verses. And he ends with verse 52, Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And this is a beautiful psalm to say, when life seems like it's chaotic, the enemy is winning, we're losing, he knows that, no, God, God is in control. And God, help me to see that even though it seems like you're against us. And that's the same thing in book number four, Psalm 102, very similar, talking about hearing the, the for asking God to hear our cry and hear our prayers but remembering, like in verse 12 of Psalm 102, but you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. And so it's remembering the truth even when life seems not to make sense. So what does this mean for us Christians? It means that we can have hope even during times of tribulation. And this is why you know, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 makes a whole lot more sense because I bet Paul knew the Psalms. When he mm. when he wrote down in Psalm, uh, for 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verses 7 to 18, but I'll just read a few verses. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay, the gospel, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed. Don't we feel a little perplexed sometimes? Perplexing. But not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of de- in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Paul's saying, like the psalmist saying, it seems like life is really hard and that God is losing and or he's against you. But no, if you have repented and trusted in Christ, if you have God in you, you know that God is trying to glorify himself through you to other people so that he can display his glory to them. And as we talked about in the sermon and for us to faithfully proclaim the good news of second chances. And you know how the best way that God can do that? Is when he sees such a when people see such a weak vessel, such a fragile vessel, proclaiming such a majestic message. Right? It's uh, it, it's it's no wonder why God uses the weak to shame the strong, because the message of grace and the message of the gospel is made so much more poignant when He uses jars of clay and not jars of gold. So make sure, Compass, that you're using these psalms to help you to have a deeper relationship with our great. God. So make sure you're noting down these Psalms for future reference, uh, labeling them so that you can turn to them quickly so that you can remember when you're perplexed, it's a very perplexing world, Mm -hmm. you can remember the truth of God. All right, Compass, we are so grateful that you have joined us for this week's episode of the Compass Equip podcast. We have a few announcements. Number one, Adventure Club registration is open and it starts on August the 24th. It's coming. So you need to go online at compasshillcountry.org and register your kids there. Register. All right, we have a back to school bash on August 21st. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be uh, during the 9 11 and after the 11. What I mean by that is the celebration is all morning, it's not just what we're doing after the 11 a.m. service. 
right? Nine o'clock celebration, 11 o'clock celebration. Then after 11 o'clock, we're going to celebrate with food, with fun, with fellowship. fellowship. Yeah, we all knew alliterations. That's just going to happen when pastors are around. All right. We want to celebrate what God is doing and what God's going to do this fall. And we want to invite people to be a part of it. And with faith. And (laughs) all right. Okay. Uh, But hey, that's August 21st. So the week before, which just happens to be this coming up week, we're going to have two events to prepare ourselves for this fall. One is we have an outreach on Saturday, August 13th. Reaching people for Christ. That's right. At 8 a.m. And we're going to meet here at the building, and then we're going to go out into the community, and we're going to proclaim, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I'm just kidding. We're not going to say that. But what we are going to say is we're going to invite people to come hear the gospel, and when we have a great opportunity, we're going to share with people the good news of the second chances of God in Christ. And so let's get together on August 13th. Make a plan to be there with your life group here at 8 a.m. at the building, and then we're going to come back and eat lunch and fellowship together as well. Well, and then the next day, we're going to have a prayer night. We want the whole church to be praying together because we know that God uses prayer as a means to his glorious ends. Like last week. That's exactly right. And so we want to pray together as a church. We want to seek the Lord, and we want him to answer us according to his will because we know that his will gives him glory, and it's good for his people. And so let's get together as a whole church. Let's pack out that auditorium, and let's pray to the Lord. And that'll be at 5 p.m. here at the building. All right, Compass Bible Church, let us go out this week and proclaim the message of God's second chances. (music) 